and welcome back, everyone, to another edition of Going for Two, presented by our dear friends in Indianapolis, Home Field Apparel. I am your host and the publisher of the Extra Points newsletter. I'm Matt Brown. I'm joined here for the first recording of 2023 by my colleague and friend, Brian Fisher. Brian, how, how was your holiday? Uh, tiring, very tiring, a very tiring holiday. I, I woke up, uh, I've, I've gotten back home uh, now from the Rose Bowl, uh, covered that, it was out at the Fiesta Bowl, obviously. Yeah. So a lot of uh, a lot of travel involved and still some more to come with the uh, title game at the end of the week. And uh, then we'll, we'll see each other actually in person uh, next week. Next week, yeah. But uh, very, very tiring. Uh, let me tell you about that, uh, especially because I, I didn't even know that you could have flights that uh, left at 515, but apparently you can. And I was on one of them. So I, the I, I will try to make yes in the morning. So I will try to make it through this podcast. Gross. Gross. No. Yeah. You you win. I mean, it's th- this is supposed to be a time of, of rest and rejuvenation, which is, of course, not really the case for national correspondents and esteemed publications like Fox, who then have to go to these major bowl games. I sat on my butt the past couple of weeks although i got sick again i got a sinus infection like after getting the flu so if i if i sound like i've uh i've picked up a cigarette smoking habit over the last two weeks i haven't though i have thought about it um i'm it's i'm I'm just kind of rebounding from that i'm glad you're back if you fall asleep i'll do my best to ramp uh you know to vamp for (laughs) for you until you come back into it i do want to call everyone's attention very quickly to one Christmas present that I got that I haven't had a chance to hang up yet because I'm actually in the process of remodeling this office a little bit, rearranging where the TV is going to go and making some other tweaks. But if you watch this show on YouTube, you can do that, by the way. They're all on YouTube, if you didn't know, um, or, or watch any of my other video interviews with Connect, you are probably aware that behind me is a gigantic wall full of pennants. I actually got a couple more pennants that were mailed to me over the holiday break that I haven't had a chance to hang up yet. I got another Fairfield pennant. I've got a Rochester Institute of Technology pennant. Uh, there's other pennants that you get, that you can't even see on the screen because I've taken up other walls, and that's part of why we're re- rearranging things. But my oldest daughter presented this to me, and I'm, I'm holding up here a red velvet pennant that says Best Dad University, number one. And then a slice of pizza for some reason. Uh, I, I know that this is this. I don't know if the kids are making another statement about my weight, or I'm just what's about tuition the, run at uh, Best Dad University. The, so the, what's the what? What's tuition run? At- what's tuition run? It's it's tuition is pretty cheap. Uh, the APR score is terrible, uh, and they don't have a stable conference home right now. I, I mean, I mean, it's it's it's, it's cheap. We're, we're we're bribing people all the time. That's that you know instead of bag man, we're. We're going to Seven Eleven, and we're we're we're, we're getting chocolate milk. Chicago um, State but, really influencing you there. <laughs> exactly. So uh, you'll probably see that behind me here. I might have to replace the uh, the University of Utah pennant, or, or or maybe like the Southeast Missouri State, so we can get. Uh, Man, that's tough on the Utes. You're gonna you gonna take them down. They lose to Penn State, and twist the knife here. Come on, man. They've been in there enough. Look, I'm I'm, I'm literally wearing a BYU T-shirt as as we speak right now. Listen, Utah. If you want to keep the most favored status on the wall, I'm going to need somebody at your university to subscribe to D1 Classroom. And I'm, 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 I'm just saying, or or to even to extra points right now, because if we look at the other institutions that are represented on this wall, I got more of those .edu's than we have at the premier uh, state flagship institution in Salt Lake. This this is not a uh, this is not a, a pay to play system, but it could be for real estate there in the in, in the in the back wall. Um, Brian, it is a shame that all of the football games were canceled because of the war and nothing actually happened, especially not a peach bowl, uh, over the past couple of days. So I don't want to talk about that right now. Really? Cause we might, I, I, I need you to fill me in. Cause I didn't get, I was down and doing the interviews of the Fiesta bowl, right in my column. I, you know, like I actually was, uh, filed, you know, kind of on, on the bus as I was watching the, the fourth quarter there, uh, on my phone. Like, can you, can you fill me in and in terms of actually- fine, 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 fine. Here's what I'll here's here's what I'll say. I actually went into the that this particular game legitimately. Not this is not a coping mechanism. This is the honest to god truth, with no expectations. I thought Ohio State was going to get rolled by like 21, 24 points, and I figured, okay, if that happens, I can kind of disengage the second half. That might expedite potential regime change or or significant changes with Columbus. 
Uh, I got to watch our arch rival lose a heartbreaker to in a game that every single Michigan fan thought they were going to win. So my New Year's will not be ruined. Like it's kind of like how I felt during the COVID year when Ohio State played Alabama in the championship, and after like five minutes, it was very clear that Alabama was way, way, way better. I'm like, okay, this, this doesn't hurt, right? But then a funny thing happened. Uh, Ohio State played really well, or at least half Ohio State played really well, and uh, I, I even took a screenshot of it late in the third quarter. <clears throat> right, right before Marvin Harrison Jr. gets a concussion and is knocked out of the game, Ohio State's win percentage is like like win probability on ESPN was like ninety five percent. What happened is Stetson Bennett, after playing a really terrible like middle eight of of the game, catches absolute fire. <clears throat> There's a busted coverage, <clears throat> and um, Georgia comes right back. Ohio State fans, I think, will will point to hey, maybe that was targeting a Marvin Harrison. Hey, maybe um, there was something amiss with the the, ti- the ti- timeout that uh, blew up the faked punt that would have changed things. Maybe um, Georgia shouldn't have gotten the fourth down conversion at the end of the game. Look, I'm, I'm, I I cannot look at any of those things. This is just a question of you had you needed to get five yards. You had three plays at the end of the game. You didn't get those five yards. You decided to to put everything on a kicker to kick a 50 yard field goal who did not demonstrate during the regular season that he had 50 yard range and he missed. It's too bad. Um, but I weirdly don't feel, I mean like it stings to lose that game because especially because I, I think Ohio state would have matched up okay against TCU and, and could have somehow backed into a national championship this year. Um, but I mean, they did score 41 points on Georgia. It's always the hope like, that kills you. That, that's, that's, that's that's what it is, right? This this is what I want. I either want the teams that I root for to experience no adversity whatsoever and just steamroll everybody, like like a like a, a 12-year-old playing on junior varsity difficulty level. Or I want my teams to be summarily shotgunned in the, you know, in the back behind the barn in the first 10 minutes. And so we don't have to think about it anymore. Right. If if I would rather lose seven to well. No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say I would rather lose seven to one in the World Cup in my home country, and you know that's a national <laughs> tragedy. I would rather lose very quickly and dramatically than in penalty kicks or say on a, on a dramatic missed field goal. It was a hell of a football game. They were they were they were both excellent football games. The New Year's Six were excellent football. Games. I, I I thought I was just, I lucked it just, out it just it was the best game, and then you know the, that that Peach Bowl ended up happening, and you know. For, it was, because, it was a great game. It, it was the a great game. Was great. They, they were both great games. I I kind of sat there at the end of uh, at the press box, and we we're just kind of looking at, at each other, like, w- like what what just happened? How, how do you make sense of, of that? And then and then the Peach Bowl happens, which is uh, just about as 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 insane. I, I think you could really flip those two games if you want to put yeah. one two uh, in any order in terms of some of the more compelling um, you know national semifinals that we've gotten especially in the playoff era it is it, it was wild and and I was also kind of thinking you know when, when Marvin Harrison Jr. went out how Georgia has gotten some breaks they the, you know you, you talk about spending years and decades in the desert since that 1980 national title and how they consistently did not they, they always fell on the wrong side right you had the yeah. front in the sec championship game uh you, you have you know third uh, fourth and 26 or whatever and and you lose a national title in atlanta uh you know to your biggest rival in alabama in 2017 and then last year i think you know you, you had the wide receivers go all go down for alabama after they were kind of controlling the national championship game you have the you had marvin harrison jr go down in, in this game and it kind of flipped fortunes a, a little bit there for ohio state's offense so allowed them to come back in so george has gotten some some breaks lately and that, that was kind of one of the things that i thought of as soon as i was like oh no here, here we go again here's another big star receiver was having a good game that was taking a lot of focus on the defense and 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 they end up coming back to win it and, and uh, i would I will just say this last thing, and I understand this sounds like sour grapes, and you can fast forward another three minutes, and we'll talk about the transformation committee, I promise. Ohio State was already missing the number one wide receiver. Jackson Smith and Jigba didn't like play, barely play this entire season. Ohio State was giving handoffs to their fourth string running back because uh, you know Henderson, their five-star guy, was hurt on and off most of the season. Uh, uh, Chop was was injured and only got a couple of carries. Evan Pryor, who was like the backup at the beginning of the season, tore his ACL before the year even started. So you're handing off to guys that never projected to be part of the depth chart, and that's why the offense had to be dramatically more uh, one dimensional. But Ohio State barely even tried to run uh, outside of like some some Stroud scrambles, which we hadn't seen the entire season for that game. CJ Stroud. Uh, played the game of his life. He was he was nails through almost all of that game, which I think 
and do something to uh, dispel some of the doubters or the negative, um, you know, perception that you know that that was uh, I think around the season and even on some level his Ohio State career where he put up extremely good numbers, but Ohio State didn't win that many big games of consequence. But it's a team game. CJ Stroud uh, did not give up a busted coverage and allow a 77 yard touchdown catch when they desperately didn't need to. So he did not. He did not. And, you know, I, that's football, baby. I, I will say that, you know, doing the, the episode on, on head coach U with, with Bronco, where he kind of broke down the, the teams and he kind of gave some keys to win. Not only CJ Stroud playing the game of his life, but but taking those shots downfield, that was you know, one of the things that he pointed out. I, I thought Ohio State would compete in that game. I, I mean, preseason, if you would have told, you know, said, he, he, give me a non-Alabama teams, who who would be your national title pick? It, it would have been Ohio State, you know, easily. I, I think they, they they had all the things on paper, plus the motivation coming into the year uh, from that Michigan game, from that dramatic Rose Bowl that they had. And, you know, it just didn't end up working out. But uh, it, it's tough to win a national title. And uh, I, I think we, that has been on full display these last couple of years, how difficult it is not only to build your program up to where you're at least taking those shots, but also getting over the hump and uh, should set up for, for a fantastic national title game next Monday. It, 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 it should be really fun. And uh, you know, you know what the hell, since we're talking about football now, let's go ahead and get the football. We'll, we'll talk football and then we can, then we can talk about the, the non-football stuff in a second. I am fascinated by this Georgia TCU game. For, for a lot of reasons. And and the biggest one, and we, we talked about this a little bit before we started recording. One of the kind of benchmarks that has been really instructive in helping me understand college football and evaluate where programs are going and, and, and make sense of a lot of the off the field stuff has been a theorem that uh, my old colleague, Bud Elliott, who's now at 247 in CBS, pioneered when he was at SB Nation, I, I believe. And they called it the, the blue chip ratio theory. And uh, but if you're listening, forgive me here if I'm if I'm bastardizing this. But the gist of it was, you can't win a national championship in the modern era, in the BCS, the playoff era, if you are not recruiting at least 50 percent four and five star athletes. That's a little bit different from the the. I think there's a modification of this theorem that says like you need to sign at least one top five recruiting class. But there's been a handful of teams, a small number of teams that have won national championships that that didn't do that since 2000. But everybody has recruited at at least the uh, you know 51% or above four or five stars relative to three stars. There's generally a, uh, like around 13, 14-ish teams each season that are recruiting at about that level. It's the teams that you would expect and also some teams that, that perennially uh, are nowhere near the national championship conversation like Texas um, or Texas A&M. Uh, Michigan, uh, you know, was included at the very bottom uh, of, of that. It's you know, it's around where Michigan, Penn State, uh, the Clemson a couple of years ago were, were, were generally recruiting. TCU is nowhere near that level and hasn't been anywhere near that level, even in the Big Twelve. And they're probably the team that recruits at one, at one of the highest levels in the non-Texas, non-Oklahoma region. But that might mean you sign four or five blue chip guys, not sixteen or, or, or seventeen. And so there's been a, a, a small number of schools that have profiles not dissimilar to TCU that have made the playoff before. Michigan State did that one year when Alabama myrtle, myrtle, myrtled them, murdered them, myrtle, destroyed them. Um, Washington did that one year. Oregon made the national championship game. They were the exception. They were close to the to the the 50% mark, but they also had Marcus Mariota, who won the Heisman Trophy that year. And uh, I think that's everybody. Like Oklahoma might have been close one of the years when they got blown out in the, in the opening round. And so TCU is even kind of a step beyond that. What is fascinating to me, as, as I think here about, about this game, is this is the first time we have a team like this. The, the, we have this in the truly the post-transfer the, the post portal era. And TCU made some pretty significant changes to the roster relative to last year when they were finished under 500. I want to say there's 18 new players on this team. I think their top two tacklers, you know, came in there, you know, Max Duggan was already on the roster. I mean, I think he already, I think he lost a QB battle like already and, and, and then came back, but um, a lot of important personnel came in. So I'm wondering, because like, this is not a team that wins games with smokes, like smoke and mirrors. Like they're a really good football team. They, they had a better strength of record than Ohio state did. I'm wondering if TCU is a potential blueprint for how a team that can't recruit like Ohio State or Michigan can be competitive in a, in a, in a and compete for national championships, or if it's uh, uh, an exception, you know, something similar to 2014 Oregon, 
um, or whatever the Washington year was, where you just have a really good quarterback, one really good skill position player, and some experience to play and play over your head. Maybe do you think it's time to reevaluate? the blue chip theory do we need I, mean, I assume we need more data but yeah like- a little bit just mostly because of the, the transfer portal you know and and, and how you got to change your outlook in terms of some of those transfers you know they might, might have been a five-star you know coming out of high school yeah didn't really pan out so how, how do you kind of evaluate that that type of player you know it, it, it's almost like in free agency where you know some of those nfl teams you know they, they you know mine those guys that are on a practice squad or, or you know they they end up getting cut uh you know in in, in fall camp and uh you know what they turned out in turned out to be really good players for another Team. And and some of that is just coaching. Some of that is just situation, uh, situational football in terms of hey that guy got a shot because of an injury. Uh, you know there, there's a multitude of factors at play. And I think what what makes T- TCU more unique than I think anybody else that, that could be taking this kind of track is you know Gary Patterson was there for, for forever. And, and although he did recruit at a high level, I think right there kind of at the top of the kind of the the new Big Twelve uh, with without Texas and Oklahoma, but they were so good. At, at, with with Gary Patterson and his staff, we're evaluating guys that were maybe two, three stars or whatever, but changing their positions, you know, making a running back a, a cornerback or, you know, being up a, a safety to linebacker, you know, kind of really developing guys. And so that does kind of change the roster a little bit. And then you have Sonny Dykes come in, obviously not, uh, you know, not wholesale offensive changes, but there were definitely tweaks, you know, that, that he brought in that highlighted a lot of these players. And, you know, you're right. I mean, Chandler Moore started the season against Colorado. And if, if not for that injury against the Buffs, you know, really maybe the worst power five team in, in, in the country kind of burst TCU as, as a national title game participant, if, if, if you kind of think about it, and landed Dion in, in Boulder. So uh, quite, quite these storylines that kind of came together in some random – TCU Colorado game at the beginning of the year, but I, I think you do have to make some some slight exceptions, and and then let's yeah. visit, you know on the other end there's Georgia which has been recruiting uh, you know top five class after top five class stacking them, but they also have a quarterback who let's face it nobody really believes in even though he can be dealing as we saw in that Peach Bowl. Yeah, I I I, I kind of wonder if we need a little bit more data to better understand how predictive reevaluated recruiting rankings are in the transfer market. Like I, I've noticed this a little bit, just kind of digging through two, four, seven. And well, they, uh, they I, do I don't have the, they have, have transfer rankings now, you know, in terms they, of a lot, they do. Uh, a lot of the classes. So yeah, that, that the industry itself is, is kind of playing a little bit of catch up. And, and I think we will yeah. kind of get, get uh, more data on that. I, I think it is, it is just so vast because you do have so many more players. You gotta, you gotta worry about it. It's not just a, Hey, all right. I, I know I got to concentrate on, on, on the juniors to be, or, or the seniors to be, uh, you know, in, in high school. And, and yeah, even, even some of those guys get overlooked, but you know, I think the, all the recruiting services are very good at in terms of determining, Hey, these are the top really 75 guys. And, and they are, the hit rate on a lot of those guys is pretty high. Uh, you know. Oh, out out of high school, unquestionably. Like here, as as an example here, right? Like let's take a couple of just the 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 big time quarterbacks that that have, uh, have have hit the portal, right? So Purdue just gets just just uh, picked up Hudson Card, and uh, as a as a high school recruit, Hudson Card signed with Texas was a top ten quarterback prospect and a very high four star. He's 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 mentioned here as like a point nine seven, which would you know, get, correlate generally to one of the top six or seven quarterbacks in the class card, you know, doesn't hang on to the starting job. He's, you know, has a, a up, up and down. He goes to Purdue. He's now ranked as a 0.93. So a, a four-star quarterback still, but, but downgraded. Um, should it be a nine, three? Should it be a, a high three star? Should it be a nine, five? I don't know. Like I, I, and, and how you kind of evaluate his college tape and that experience versus the, the, the physical measurables you saw in high school is is uh is an inexact science like if, if you're if you're ranking the transfer quarterbacks in, in this class I, I mean i would imagine you it, it makes sense to have sam hartman number one he's been the most prolific uh at, at, at the power five level but uh, well, how do you measure three. there's other guys in there that uh you it's, know have, yeah right you no know, he's jumping to the nfl and really i i think it, it's going to be very interesting to see how that all shakes out in in particular not just with the, the quarterbacks but you know even in the transfer portal there are a dearth of, of positions where there's just not enough guys you know how many, how many yeah. you got to talk with a head coach or or, or a line coach like ah, we, we we definitely need an, an extra guard we need, we need a left tackle like those guys just simply are not in the portal like of, of all the things that um you, know, you can go into the portal 
you'll you get a lot of wide receivers, some guys that maybe move up from a level from from the group of five, even the FCS ranks. We're starting to see even pass rushers now, um, you know, kind of make that jump from kind of smaller schools into the power five and and have success there. But, uh, you know, finding some offensive line, which contributes to the quarterback play. I mean, you mentioned Hudson Card there, I think shown some flashes there at Texas. Yeah, yeah I think he, he kind of went in and entered the portal. Kind of thought, oh, he's he's one of the better quarterbacks available, but um, you know certainly you got to kind of take into all the circumstances and, and say, not only can 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 we you know help him develop, but you know we're going to surround him with, with better talent, and so I think it's going to be um, you know a very unique thing, and and I think it's you always look at the national title game, not only participants but the winners in terms of hey, what what can I do for my roster? What can I do for my program that I can take away from a team that has done it? They, they've gotten to the mountaintop, and in the past, you know, yes, it was Nick Saban. It was like, all right, well. Stack a, stack a bunch of five stars and and uh, have the greatest coach of all time. Probably not going to apply to our program all that often. There was the the Clemson year. Certainly having a, a generational quarterback or two uh, would always help you win a national title. We, we kind of saw that. You mentioned Oregon earlier. Also a generational type of quarterback that kind of covered up some of those flaws on that roster. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, I, I think it, this is just so new. And, and I think it might be another year or two, and, and especially with the introduction of the 12-team era, I, I mean, I, I mentioned it earlier. Look at injuries, how they've already affected the four-team yeah. tournament uh, with, with Georgia, with with Alabama, with uh, you know Ohio State. That's going to be even a bigger impact in the, in the 12-team era. We're just going to get some strange results, like TCU appearing in the national title in Sonny Dykes' first year. That, that's just kind of kind of insane. But it, it's been an insane yeah. season, and it, it definitely kind of caps things off in, in the right way. I am uh, I'm really happy for TCU fans. Just like I'm, you know, just like I'm really happy for Tulane fans, right? To to go from having not beaten a big time out of conference opponent in 20 years and being left for dead for a little did, while. Did, did to, you see my? I, I had to look this up. Last time Tulane won a major bowl game, Amelia Earhart flew from California to Hawaii <laughs> solo. Like that, that is how long it has been. Not only were they they in the SEC, but like. It, 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 you know, it's, it's been 80 something years and to do it in that way, to, to win like that so dramatically, uh, it just really adds to the legend. And, you know, I, 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 I ended up seeing Tulane uh, when, when they beat Cincinnati a couple of years or a couple of weeks ago. And you, you could see the speed on the team. You could see the skill position talent there. You can see how Willie Fritz and them have, have developed things. So, you know, hats off that they, they understood that. Yes, you can make these big jumps, you know, t- a 10 win improvement, just kind of insane to think about. It's yeah, it's 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 exciting as 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 much as I am still, you know, tied to a blue blood program. It warms my grinchy heart. See what I did there uh, to, to, to see to see these kind of these kind of stories. I mean, you you've been you you lived in New Orleans. It, it, it kind of weird that like LSU yeah. had I lived six blocks from Tulane's campus. Massive blowout win uh, for, for for LSU. Some momentum kind of going into the offseason there for Brian Kelly. And they were not the story, not in not in New Orleans, not in the state of Louisiana, maybe. Uh, it was all about Tulane. So hats off to you know Troy Dannon and uh, Willie Fritz and, and, and the crew there at Tulane. Uh, you know, celebrate it. Uh, be excited because, uh, you know, those those type of victories, as Tulane has, themselves have proven, do not come along all, to, all that often. No. Well, and if you want to celebrate – those victories that maybe don't come as quite often as, as, as we'd like them to, there's no better way than by buying a bunch of Pelican stuff at homefieldapparel.com. You might have missed this a second ago if you weren't looking at YouTube, but Brian is wearing a, I believe, is it the Surfing Pelican yes. crew neck right here? Uh, I have a, a, a Tulane sticker on my laptop with with the Surfing Bird. Uh, I'm wearing the old, old, uh, the old vintage BYU t-shirt here today. Um, but the Tulane collection is truly one of the most excellent on a website that has many excellent collections. If you want to celebrate your team winning a bowl game, I need to buy a TCU shirt. Uh, just a good reminder. I need to buy one today. I did, I did promise myself I would get the frog in a fur coat, even though I don't really need the frog in a fur coat, because they spared me from watching Argentina win a freaking World Cup the same year that Michigan wins a national championship that might have been too much for me to bear in my vitamin D deficient state. So thank you, Texas Christian University. You can buy these wonderful shirts, wonderful hoodies, wonderful joggers, uh, and all manner of other officially licensed uh, vintage collegiate apparel at homefieldapparel.com. And when you do, use promo code EXTRAPOINTS to save 15% off of that order. You can also drop me a note at matt at extrapointsmb.com if you would like an introduction to the good brand. They are going to be rolling out some collections centered around mid and low majors in the near future. 
now that college football season is winding down to a close. That is, again, homefieldapparel.com. While we're doing ad reads, I want to read one more very quickly before we dig into the major off-the-field story here for this week. The beginning of the new year also means the beginning of a new semester. Uh, Many of you who are listening to this program are work in athletic departments. You might uh, occasionally teach a class in your university. You may be uh, high school or college instructors yourself. In case you haven't heard, we make something here at D1 Ticker Headquarters that is specifically built to make your life easier. It's called D1 Classroom. It is a collection of different resources to serve as a textbook supplement uh, for the overworked instructor who is teaching anything related to college athletics. It it includes a discounted full subscription to Extra Points. It includes uh, subscriptions to all of the uh, the tickers, D1, D2, D3, NAIA tickers uh, for, for you and your students. It includes access to Collegiate Sports Connect, which is our service, uh, our LinkedIn uh, college sports industry service here, which is especially useful for college students because it is where a gajillion universities recruit junior level positions that aren't necessarily advertised anywhere else. It's an amazing networking tool if you are worried about job placement for your students. And it includes twice a week custom discussion questions based on the news written by yours truly uh, and, and some of our D1 ticker colleagues, but mostly me. All of this for just 20 bucks a student. It's way cheaper than a textbook. It's way cheaper than any other kind of supplement that you're going to find from Sports Business Journal or Sportico or any of the other excellent uh, subscription-based outlets there. So if you are teaching anything related to college sports in the near future, or if your institution is, hit me up, matt at extrapointsmb.com. I would be more than happy to put you in touch with our sales team. It's just 20 bucks. Um, Paperback books are $45, and then you have to, at minimum, then you sell them back to the bookstore and you make like $4. Um, this is a way to make your life easier and give your students something that they actually read. Because unlike the New York Times, I swear sometimes and uh, I tell jokes and I'll make random uh, quiz generators and I'll find ways to get the 19 year olds in your class to open that email on a more regular basis. D1 Classroom. Uh, that is Matt at extrapointsmb.com. One of the things that I imagine we will be talking about in D1 Classroom in the very near future uh, is the developments that happened this afternoon. We're recording this here on a Tuesday after months and months and months of talking about it and thinking about it and Zoom calls. The NCAA Transformation Committee has finally released their report. It is 39 pages in a Word document here, and it includes most of the stuff that they've basically teased in public for the last six months. Brian and anybody else, if you were waiting for this to completely transform D1 membership, to banish 120 institutions to the Division II shadow realm, to hasten uh, the the uh, the impending uh, professionalized status of college athletics or anything else that might be construed as transformational, you would be left wanting. Because this document, well, it does, I think, contain some useful and, and dare I say, very significant recommendations. I wouldn't call it transformational, would you? Uh, no, and uh, <laughs> members of the uh, transformation committee would uh, agree with that assessment. And, I, think, I mean, yeah. we, I talked with Greg Greg Senke, the, the one of the co chairs, and, and and Julie Cromer just a couple weeks ago, oh. and uh, you know they. They, they've always kind of hinted uh, that this, that really the, the kind of charge changed a little bit, especially as time went on and, and they started kind of diving into more of the issues. Um, you know, I, I think they kind of said, you know what, as much as our work is known as the Transformation Committee, um, you know, we were really not trying to be transformational. We're not trying to rock the boat. We're not trying to, you know, change things massively. You know, if, if that is going to end up happening, it really needs to come from like the Board of Governors, um, you know, the Division One Board. Um, you know that that kind of apparatus, not not some committee uh, filled with administrators uh, looking at some some really fairly fairly narrow issues. And uh, you know what they teased a lot of a lot of this uh, that was in the report, a lot of the proposals, that sort of thing. We, we've yeah. been talking about them on this podcast for 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 weeks now, months now. And uh, you know, I mean, at least it's all out there, and uh, the the board will kind of discuss this uh, at at the convention in San Antonio next week. I, I think that's when things are are really going to start to get a little bit more real. 
you hear some of the proposals like for for sports specific committees. We kind of already have them in, in sports like football and, and men's basketball. Maybe uh, those get refined a little bit. And, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see how that's going to impact a, a baseball or volleyball or yeah. not as you kind of get a little bit more pointed. But I know everybody is, is focused on pretty much the only top line item that I think anybody was taken away from that. And that was kind of the tournament expansion. Yeah, I, I, we can we can. Let's let's talk about that first. Can we go and, through the uh, the whole report there, but no, we don't need to, we don't need to do the, the necessarily the entire thing. Well, let's talk about the tournament expansion section first because th- this is the initial headline. This is the thing that I imagine if you are a fan and you don't work or study this industry, this is the thing that you're most focused on. I want to make sure I'm trying to, to pull it up here, uh, which I know is very uh, scintillating podcasting to make sure I get the exact passage correct. I believe it's I am, two, if you if you you're, you are a division one sport and, uh, you know, if you have over 200 schools that uh, sponsor you, yes. then the the ideal uh, like percentage, I guess they, they, they've said that uh, they want postseason access for is 25 percent. And everybody immediately said, uh, started doing the math, and they're like, "All right, well, there's- oh shit, that's ninety schools for men's and women's basketball." Schools, which you know what? Yeah. How many times have we heard the the ninety six team uh, tournament expansion? Uh, you know, is, is going to be coming at some point for men's basketball. But I, I will say that uh, we did, I talked to Dan Gavitt not too long ago, uh, who who kind of is is the the men's basketball czar, and uh, he he kind of laid the breadcrumbs out saying, yes, there has been, you know, this, this discussion that whatnot, but you know what? The broadcast partners are, are not necessarily all on board with men's basketball, disc, you know, tournament expansion. Yep. And I think that is the key, key, key thing to keep in mind is, you know what, for sports like volleyball, baseball, hitting some additional teams in the tournament, sounds great. You know, more participation opportunities, more postseason, more meaningful games. That, that, that sounds good. You know, especially in, in some of these things like soccer where, you know, maybe you're, you're kind of region locked or, you know, teams out West. I know that have complained a little bit that at times in terms of uh, kind of getting shut out, even FCS uh, postseason has been talked about as, as a potential expansion opportunity. I think that's all great, but is there going to be a television appetite for the men's and women's basketball tournaments to expand? I, I don't think so. So I think that everybody's getting out in front of their skis just a little bit when it comes to reading those lines and reading those targets and hearing those numbers and saying, you know what? I, I, I don't think that 96 is actually going to end up happening at least anytime soon. Maybe this is laying the groundwork for it in five or 10 years and broadcast partners start to come on board and, 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 and turn, come around and say, yeah, yeah, we, we can pay extra for that and, and we can make it work, but not right now. It, it, it is interesting. And I, I wonder why this wasn't clarified a little bit more. And this is one of the things I think you and I are going to be bugging people about next week, um, um, among many others. I have not actually talked, heard any commissioner on the record or on background say, I want a 96-team men's women's basketball tournament. Uh, I have talked to several in the mid-major ranks. and I've talked to you know a couple in the P5 ranks who have said no. And and what for part of what you're what you're referencing is why because we don't think Turner or ESPN wants to pay for two extra NIT rounds essentially to to add to this package which which would make it worth it because remember expanding as has been laid out to me by many other uh, leaders here expanding for every sport increases costs and in some cases and particularly because in this report they talk a lot about in, enhancing and improving the travel experience. Mean which I took to mean you, you you can't region lock everything and and have everyone play their first round game within seventy miles of each other, or flying them on Spirit Airlines at three o'clock in the morning and having them stay at the Howard Johnson by the airport for sixty bucks a night. Like you 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 have to give them something meaningful that increases costs. You can't do those things if the revenue isn't going to come from somewhere else. So what I had heard almost universally from talking to commissioners over the last six or six, six ish months or so was it's probably going to expand. Greg Sankey was super pissed about Texas A&M. Um, we're looking at six to eight teams and, and, and potentially more significant expansions in other tournaments. Um, I, I'm the, the, my reading of this, of this, of these recommendations in its entirety is, is this idea that you want to have more autonomy and flexibility for each sport within the NCAA. So this, you have the recommendation to go up to 25%, but you then allow different committees and different groups to make different decisions for how softball is different from soccer, which is different from field hockey, which is different from basketball, which has a gigantic revenue component hanging over it. So I, the, I, I would agree with you. I'm not expecting a 90-ish team tournament. 
I, I believe from what I have been told that anything that's done on the men's basketball side will also be done on the women's basketball side, which is another potential concern for gigantic expansion because expanding the women's team tournament is also going to be expensive and likely won't generate corresponding revenues. Um, speaking of revenues, though, there was another interesting kind of nugget buried in here a little bit that I don't know has been uh, talked about as much from our, our national peers. And this is idea here that uh, you don't want to necessarily have men's basketball be the only sport that offers some kind of, uh, you know, uh, bonus for, for athletic success and that you would look at equity and revenue and potentially have this, you know, the idea of having a unit payout for women's basketball has been discussed for a year uh, and, and with, within various 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 levels of seriousness here I, I as my reading from this is you would the door would be open for potentially doing that for other sports as well uh provided the logistics make sense yeah i think that's that's the key and and can the logistics make sense for for a lot of this i think it was you know driving force of it you know i the, the whole big tent philosophy uh i think did, really did kind of drive some of these decisions at, at the end of the day you know in terms of not excluding people in terms of at least making it a pathway you know what if you were maybe not providing all of these scholarships or uh you're only providing a certain number of them maybe there's kind of a grace period to where you can transition in them yeah you know i think a lot of people kind of focus on uh speaking of kind of like looking into the minute minute details that probably don't matter in the end you know eliminating the fbs attendance requirement like you know like yeah the only people who care about that are people on message boards who or fans of like division two teams that are trying to lay out their that think they can lay out the exact roadmap i this i'm glad that the transformation committee said this let me be very clear about that real quick before i finish rudely interrupting you nobody gives a shit about the attendance numbers no one's been enforcing them meaningfully for years that's not a benchmark people really care about when they're evaluating for realignment or, or feasibility studies it's less relevant in 2023 now that fewer people are going to these games anyway than it was in the 80s. It, it, it's irrelevant and, and it's, it's appropriate that the committee has recognized that there are other metrics that are more important. Well, I mean, and a lot of these committee members have served on, you know, football oversight, men's basketball, yeah. you know, like Cromer's on, on men's basketball oversight. So like, you know, they, they understand that uh, they're, they're providing waivers like candy as is, you know, for, yes. for things, especially, you know, like, you know, max schools might dip, you know, slightly under in terms of the average over two years. Maybe they had a bad season or maybe that, you know, it's just a extra cold in, in a part of Michigan where, uh, you know, you're, you're having Tuesday night games and, and it's a little bit tough. You know what? You can waiver for that. And uh, yeah. it's like, why are we, why are we taking 10 to 15 minutes out of a committee meeting uh, with, with everybody meeting and, and just basically saying, yeah, I, uh, and, and, and passing, you know, some sort of waiver versus, you know what, let's, let's, let's actually just eliminate the rules. Cause you know what, it's not impacting anybody anyway. And so, uh, you know, th there is a lot of that. I think we will see, more scalpel cutting of the rule book a little bit, especially with the sport committees in terms of some of these changes. And, and hopefully that I, I think that more than anything is, is something that does kind of give me some hope, you know, that, that uh, when it comes to things like the bagel rule or whatever, instead of taking, you know, years and years and years to change something like that, uh, perhaps this new new model, this new outlook will be able to kind of move a little bit faster. And, and I think that was ultimately kind of what um, they arrived at is, is hey, here's at least something that provides the pathway to making some of these changes with these sports a little bit quicker. And, and I think that's, um, you know, a, a hopeful outcome. I'm not sure if it will end up happening in practice, but uh, I think for, for a couple of sports, uh, this, this is uh, definitely much needed if, if they ultimately uh, kind of get it passed and, uh, you know, get, get things moving through the system. This is, I, I want to go back to something you mentioned a couple of minutes ago that I, I do think is really important. And, and something that Julie Cromer mentions in the exact text and then in the follow-up conversation this afternoon this idea of really wanting to err on the side of keeping a big tent, that there's something magical. And, and I think you and I would agree, particularly for the men's or women's basketball tournaments, about having schools of very different resource levels and missions participate in the same tournament. It is fun to have a St. Peter's play Kentucky, especially because every once in a while, St. Peter's beats Kentucky. And that's very funny. When Oral Roberts beats Ohio State, not nearly as funny, but, but St. Peter's winning is very funny. Um, and, 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 and further blowing up division one diminishes the, not just the financial value of, of the tournament, but also some of the, the spiritual or not, that might be, may not be the right word, but um, charm magic of, of, of this enterprise. But the committee is very much recommending an increase in expectations 
for what it goes into funding a division one athletic department, which you and I have talked about several times is part of the reason you do this committee. Um, looking at some of these recommendations, Hey, you're, you're saying you're going to have to pay for insurance for athletes for, uh, uh, at least two years after they're done playing in case they get hurt, you are going to need to pay for mental health specialists. Uh, as I've, I've, I'm reading this, right. I think it's just at least one, but I would imagine if your department has like 700 athletes, it's probably going to need to be more than one. Uh, many of these schools have more than one already. There's changes in how you are funding and uh, laying out who your trainers are going to be. Uh, you might need to, there's, there's the ability to pay for loss of value insurance and this idea of, hey, you might need to actually offer scholarships uh, at a meaningful level in order for you to count a sport towards a minimum sponsorship level. It's not exactly a state secret. Like there are schools out there that have swim teams at Division One level that don't have swim scholarships or they have one swim scholarship. And you're doing this for the tuition money and to check the box, but you're functionally a gentrified Division Three program. Um, a lot of low major schools do this. I could think of a few doing it in hockey right now. Uh, beach volleyball, it's pretty common in volleyball. It's not, it's not uncommon. Right. And so you're looking at, all right, I might have to potentially, you know, knock off some money from to, uh, my, my tuition revenue and then make some expensive insurance purchases, maybe add to my headcount. Um, and, and then maybe we're changing the revenue distribution formulas that might to be more merit centric, uh, changing things on, 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 uh, or on, on multiple different levels here, but they don't want to kick people out. Or they want to kick a very small number of people out. I, I, I think they, they the, the document specifically references like specific mission-driven institutions, which I read to mean we don't want to boot every single poor HBCU out of Division One. Maybe we're going to have to have some kind of subsidy option, which uh, the only only way you can do that is you're basically essentially taxing the rich programs a little bit more, or you're going to have to create some new revenue streams uh, to to pay for this sort of thing. So the, the thing that I'm I'm monitoring here is even though this is not a transformational document, and even though this is maybe a tenth of as ambitious of, a, of an undertaking as it might have appeared last January, someone's still got to pay for this stuff. And I do. I still honestly believe that the number, there's going to be a number greater than one and less than five of schools that are going to say, it's not worth it. We're going to pull a Hartford, and this is, this is our politically expedient excuse. Um, I'm not prepared to speculate as to which ones those are. I would need to do some more reporting. I think there's going to be a couple of them. They're not all going to be HBCUs. Like I, I could think of one HBCU that, uh, like actual HBCU, not a Chicago State, that that would maybe entertain those those conversations. But if you're going to subsidize them, because they're, they're talking about here only giving a two year ramp up, and that was something I had been hearing over the past couple of months too. Like in order for any of this to matter, you can't grant waivers in perpetuity. If you want to maintain the benefits of division one membership, you need to uh, be prepared to meet those expectations, which include now hundreds of thousands of dollars potentially in either new spending or revenue offsets. I imagine there's going to be some, some uh, pointed discussions about that. Cause if you, if you, if you water this down, I think any more than you are, like than you already have, I don't think it's. I don't even think it's worth doing at all. Like to, to me, I look at this and think there's some good ideas in here, but to take 15 percent of these ideas away would be so significant as then it wouldn't be it wouldn't be meaningful anymore from from my dumb perspective. Well, I'm I'm going to be curious too to get kind of the the perspe perspective at the, at the convention of uh, you know some of the fars, some of the the faculty athletic reps, some of the, the you know the the students themselves, um, you know that that come to those convention and uh, because you know when when you're talking about some of those increases uh, for, for especially some of those smaller resource institutions, maybe they say you know what. We, we do want to keep offering this. How, how are we going to pay for it? Well, a lot of that's going to probably going to come down to a student fee and, and it's going to end up getting passed to the student body. So, um, you know, I'm kind of very, be very curious to see how that gets navigated at some of those institutions and uh, what, what ultimately people might think of in terms of how, how do they pay for this? And you know, I think for, for some of those spon sports sponsorship stuff, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, like um, you just, just to, be a you know, member of, of, of a certain conference. You know, you do have certain minimums that you have to hit in terms of those yep. sponsorships, but you know what, it, it can be tough. You know, if, if you're um, not only in terms of facility space, uh, you know, making sure that uh, coaching salaries are up to snuff, uh, depending on where you're, you're, you're located, the cost of living uh, certainly impacts a lot of that. Um, you yep. know, it impacts if you're, if, you, if you're in the Bay area or if you're in the Northeast, 
I mean, if you're you're a, a, one of the, the schools that are maybe close to New York City or, you know, something like that, and you have to worry about student housing and, uh, you know what, and, and, and taking care of those checks, uh, and in addition to, you know, not only your, your staff members, but your assistant coaches, your GAs, that sort of thing. So, like, there are a lot of costs, and I think that, the, that those pressures are felt throughout the industry and, and throughout Division One, And, uh, you know, there's some understandable concern about that. And, you know, I, I think, you know, there's always, there was all early talk, you know, about maybe will there be another subdivision, uh, you know, kind of beyond yeah. this, but we're, we're kind of already getting there naturally. You know, we, we, we do have the Autonomy 5 that that process is still in place to where those schools can uh, pass, that they're actually expanding, uh, you know, with, with uh, the Big 12's additions there, you know, the, the Autonomy 5 is actually getting bigger. So, um, you know, there will be changes in, on, on that front. Um, you know, I, I think even within FBS and within, you know, kind of the power five, you're starting to see a, a bit of a breakaway as well between the uh, SEC and the, and the Big Ten and just the now, amount of revenues that they're able to devote towards their student athlete experiences versus somebody else that uh, maybe is in the Pac-12 and, and pinching a little, you know, some of those pennies a little bit more. So uh, it, it, it makes for a fascinating um timing and and, and and some interesting discussions, I'm sure, uh, these next couple of weeks. But uh, more than anything, it's it's out there in the open. It can now be discussed. And I know, uh, you know, a lot of people are going to kind of like roll their eyes like, like, this is it. You know, like the, I think there, there there was a little bit of that reaction, especially among people that were not having these conversations like us uh, on, on, on a daily, weekly basis. Yeah. Um, you know, but at, at the end of the day, um, it's now out there to be discussed uh, for, for by membership for a lot of these schools. How can then this act, this impact us? And I think you know, some have been proactive and already planning to have a lot of these increases in their budgets in the future years. Now they can actually say, all right, well, it's going to be X number of dollars in 2023, 2024, 2025. And that's where, where things are going to get interesting because uh, as, as we all know, the dollars and cents business, and we're not even talking about in relation to all of this stuff, everything else that is going on in the courts that can also impact the enterprise of college athletics. That's the last thing I want to very briefly and very quickly address before we kind of set the stage for, for next week. If you are wondering why the hell did you spend all of this time and effort and manpower to produce something that's really only meaningful to the hardest of the hardcore or low major uh, degenerate, degenerate type folks. And the biggest reason for that is spelled out in the documents. Like, look, they had meetings about something about being even more aggressive, um, about either about potentially embracing, uh, some level of professionalism or stronger enforcement mechanisms. Uh, and, and, and here's the thing, the NCAA, their membership, their leaders at the campus and at the institute, the, the organizational level do not believe they currently have the legal authority to do that. The only body that they believe can allow them to engage in really significant reform is Congress. And I understand that there's going to be some academics and some antitrust Twitter people that are going to say like, no, you, you, you can make this change now. They're, like, they're not going to hit the self-destruct button on themselves. And even honestly, even if they did and say, listen, we're opening up the doors um, we're going to start paying athletes market wages. Uh, football and basketball players are now professionals. They're still going to get sued and there's still going to be you know, significant litigation over bargaining unit sizes and over who has jurisdiction over some of these things. That's still going to be messy. They probably still need the courts and, and or Congress on some level to help create uh, some parameters for what those conversations would look like. I'm sure that maybe what I think or what you think or what uh, economists think, or what uh, athletic directors in the America East Conference think are all different things. That's what negotiations are about and what, what athletes would, would want. Um, but that's why they're not making these changes. And that's why they're, they're, they're going to have a new standing committee on congressional uh, affairs. This is the, the number one reason you hire Charlie Baker. Um, and and, and that, that is their hope, because there are no other cards to play. If you are dis, I mean, and it's either go into Congress or wait for the NLRB and Johnson and House to make this decision for you. And I don't blame them for playing the only card they've got left, even if it's not an especially good one. Um, which sets us into next week. Um, Brian is going to hibernate uh, for at least thirty six hours, I think, and 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 be fumigated from all the time that he spent in airports. Uh, and then we are both headed to the NCAA convention next week. It's in beautiful San Antonio. I've never been there. Really? Um, you haven't been to San Antonio? Oh, all right. No. We'll be taking it around the river walk. And I, I, I can't wait. It's going to be warmer. 
And uh, no, I, I, is it going to be warmer? Because uh, I, I know my uh, my parents who, who who also live down there uh, were, were just uh, complaining about uh, how how they they it was warmer uh, were like in in uh, certain northern parts like uh, in in Utah and in like Oregon. Uh, it, was, it was warmer there than they were in uh, down in San Antonio. So like the, okay, I'm, I'm looking I'm looking at the weather report right now, and the day that we both fly in there, they're calling for 72 and sunny. Oh, I'll take it. So is it warmer compared to Bakersfield? It's gonna be warmer. No. It's gonna be much warmer there than it is in LA for the national title game. I can tell you that much because everybody's complaining this week about the weather. We got the, the big old uh, front coming through. Uh, you know, the, the, if, if you kind of look on the radar, there's another green wave coming towards USC uh, oh. in, in Los Angeles, a, a big old, uh, but I'm sure. Is, is it going to be rainy? Uh, it's going to be uh, raining for most of the, the actual week part. And then I think it's supposed to clear up a little bit uh, over the weekend, but uh, still not, not, not your 75 and, and sunny that uh, you typically get it more closer, more to the sixties and uh, overcast kind of like what we had at, at the Rose bowl. Yeah. Uh, final, well, final big 10 uh, pack 12 Rose bowl. And it ended up raining for the first time since 1997. You poor babies. Anyway, it's going to be warmer in Texas. Um, we are going to, as you would expect, spend a lot of time shooting video interviews for collegiate sports connect. Like we do at any of these conventions, there'll be interviews with, Commissioners, athletic directors, thought leaders, everything. Brian and I will also be bugging people uh, throughout <laughs> the entire week. If you're, go- if you're going, let us know. If you're, <laughs> yeah, if you're- here, let us know. Uh, we might even do some some live taping uh, of, of a couple podcasts. We might do two or three uh, podcasts. Yeah. We're there for, for quite a long time. Uh, yeah, I, I think I'm there till Saturday. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think I, I think we're both there. I think we're both there until Saturday. So, so we'll be there for a while. So one, yeah, if you're going to be there, drop us a line. Uh, Matt Brown EP on Twitter. You guys have my email address. I'm not a difficult person to track down despite there being 800,000 Matt Browns on the internet. Um, among the many things that we're going to be digging into are who's going to pay for all this? How do people feel about the transformation committee uh, rec- recommendations? What are some of the potential unintended consequences that we're not really considering? What's coming down the pipe in two, three, six, nine, 12 months that people should be aware of. And that includes people that work in the industry, people that study the industry, people that work in the industry but don't have .edu email addresses. Um, I'm also interested in what else you would like to know, both people that work in this world, study it, or just hardcore fans. As always, if you have a story idea, a story suggestion, or tips, maybe a scoop that you want to pass along, uh, you can send it to compliance at extrapointsmb.com. I have appreciated all the emails that have come in there. I've gotten several good ideas already. We will continue to pump that uh, ahead of the um, of the convention. So you can find all that. You can find Brian's work on Collegiate Sports Connect. You can, of course, promote uh, and celebrate and, and get this show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, anywhere else that fine podcast products are sold or downloaded. This one's free. Um, extra points is only half free, but if you paid for it, that'd be super great. That helps pay for things like spending a week in San Antonio and all the tacos I'm going to eat. Um, this is a good taco place, right? I assume it's Texas. So there's going to be good tacos. Yeah. You know, pretty, pretty authentic, uh, Tex-Mex down there in San Antonio. We'll, we'll find some good spots. Don't worry. Yeah. It's a different kind of Mexican food than there is in Chicago. Um, quite, quite, quite a bit different. I'll, I'll, I'll just say that. Oh, dude, we have so many Mexicans here. Like, like mm-hmm. Chicago Mexican food is, is, is really great. It's just, it's not Texas. The folks came from different parts of Mexico. Um, Anyway, thanks for listening, everybody. It's great to be back on the the mic. Uh, I got to go hop on the radio. Brian's going to go hop into bed, and we'll catch you all very soon.